0: Well, good morning, everyone. How are y'all this morning? Feeling good? We are so glad that you are in worship with us this morning. I'm Emma Murphy, the Congregational Care Pastor here at Mount Horeb, and it truly is an honor to be here with you as we open God's Word together. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called If This, Then That. And throughout this series, we are going to be walking through the book of Ephesians together. In this book, we'll see the cause and effect relationship between the gospel message and our daily lives. We will explore the idea that if something is true, then there must be an outcome in how to live out that truth. And this is such a cool sermon series because it's practical at its core. There are so many implications in the book of Ephesians for how we are to live as Christians. So I'm thrilled to be here as we dive deeper into Ephesians 2 today. Dr. Bill started us us off last week at the very beginning of Ephesians chapter 1, a great place to start. And he talked about the important effects of being in Christ. What it means to be chosen by God, to be redeemed by Christ, and to be chosen for a purpose. And this week, we're going to continue in that discussion and open up our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Just to give a little background information before we go any further, but in this book, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, which is made up of Gentile believers. And one of the main themes of the book of Ephesians is to make it clear that Jews and Gentiles have been brought together as a part of one body in Christ. In our passage today, Paul gives these Gentiles in Ephesians or in Ephesus a greater understanding of the truth of God's redemptive work in Christ and what that means for them and now us as believers. And so we're mainly going to camp out in verses 1 through 10 this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open it up to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, but it will also be on the screens. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. One thing you need to know about me is to never give me a plant. Just a heads up. Somebody thought that was really funny. Why will I have a black thumb? You guys ever heard of that? The truth is, any plant that I even look at dies. That might sound dramatic, but it's true, y'all. I just can't keep them alive. When I was getting decor for my office, I knew that I wanted something green in there, but I didn't want a bunch of like dead plants on my desk. So I went to this magical land called Hobby Lobby, and I got these fake flowers and a a fake cactus on my desk next to my framed pictures of Truman. And people come in and they admire my good work and of how amazing my plants look until I tell them, nope, those are fake. Pastor Jeff one time came in and thought my cactus was an aloe plant and like tried to peel off a piece of it until I told him, no, that is in fact artificial. However, I have had a few people gift me like, you know, little house plants for my office before and I brought one today. Y'all, I'm really embarrassed to show you this. Exhibit A. This is from my mom. It was a gift for my ordination. This is called an air plant, and she's obsessed with how they look because they're kind of crazy looking. But does anyone know much about an air plant? Well, I'll tell you, they're super easy to keep alive. All you have to do is like spritz some water on them about every few days and they're fine. This one, it's dead, completely dead. I can't even keep an air plant alive. You see, there are basic signs to be able to tell what happened to this plant why this plant is dead. If my plant is dead, then I didn't water it well. True. If my plant is dead, then I didn't give it enough or maybe too much sunlight. Also true. If my plant is dead, then I probably forgot that I even had it and didn't do anything with it. True. These are the obvious signs of what can kill a plant. What did kill my plant. In the second chapter of Paul's letter to Ephesians, he begins by discussing the reality of our condition before salvation in Christ. The first three verses illuminate that we are dead in our trespasses and sins prior to being saved. And Paul doesn't mean that we are actually dead, like physically dead, like this plant. What he means is that we are spiritually dead. Paul expands by giving examples of what he means by that. He talks about our disobedience, following the ways of the world, and gratifying the cravings of our flesh. And similar to the signs of my dead plant, I believe that Paul's words can be summarized into a few things that are the telltale signs of us being spiritually dead. So here we go. These are the warning signs that we can see as being dead in sin. First sign, if we are dead in sin, then we have no desire to grow our relationship with God. We put no effort into working on that relationship. We've accepted our faults, our sins, our failures, and we do not yearn to change or grow in our connection with Jesus. Are we in the word or are we avoiding it? Are we spending time in prayer with God or are we ignoring him? Are we confessing our sins or denying them? Are we passionate about the Lord? If the answer is no to these things, we might be spiritually dead. Second, if we are dead in sin, then compassion is lacking in our lives. Our heart is cold when we experience sin, injustice and suffering. There is no grief in the loss of human souls. There's no empathy for those that are suffering. there is definitely no action on behalf of those who are undergoing great pain and unfairness. St. Augustine writes, hope has two beautiful daughters. Their names are anger and courage. Anger that things are the way they are, courage to make them the way they ought to be. When there is an absence of compassion, it indicates that there is an absence of hope. If our compassion is lacking, friends, we might be spiritually dead. The third sign is that if we are dead in sin, then we have no need for repentance. We sin without regret and without shame, and we don't care what our actions might bring upon someone else. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But when we don't repent, there is no good fruit that can come from us, and we are probably spiritually dead. Finally, if we are dead in sin, then we have no longing to learn. One of the beautiful parts of marriage is that I am constantly learning new things about Truman that I didn't know. How he likes one cup of coffee in the morning, Starbucks, breakfast, blend, medium roast. How he hates that. I have seven throw pillows on our couches, but he has to sleep with five around him in the bed. How he has to have a certain amount of sleep to function the next day. And how he would prefer to watch World War II documentaries, but he will hand me the remote and secretly loves watching Love It or List It with me. I am constantly learning about him and asking him to tell me more. Hey, what do you think about this? How do you feel about that? Our marriage is stronger. Our love is deeper because we long to grow and learn more about one another. Church, if we have no desire to learn more about who God is, learn more about the consequences of our sin, or to learn more about a better life in Christ, we might be spiritually dead. Maybe right now, as I go through this list, this seems all too familiar to you. You can see yourself in one or more of those things. You've lost your desire to be in a relationship with God. You can see your compassion or your empathy declining. You haven't confessed or repented of your sins because you've convinced yourself that you don't need to. You've stopped asking questions about God and your faith because you don't really care to learn more. Maybe you sit back and see this list and you're fearful because you're realizing for the first time that you indeed might be spiritually dying. But here's some good news. Ephesians 2 doesn't end in verse 3. Ephesians 2 goes on to tell us about something so incredible and so undeserving that it might just possibly blow our minds. Something that is still and will always be available to you if you believe right now that you are spiritually dead. Let me reread verses 4 through 5 for us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. Grace, what is that? What does that mean? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a free gift. It is nothing that we have done, but is totally and completely what God has done for us. Grace is God's undeserved kindness that he displays for us through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus for the sins of the entire world. That is grace. You see, we live in a merit-based world. You have to get good grades in school and have a certain GPA to get merit-based scholarships in order to pay for a ridiculously expensive college degree that might not even get you a good paying job. In order to make it big time in sports, you have to be extremely talented. The fastest, the best shooting record, most consistent catcher. You have to stand out in your achievements to succeed, to get what you want. My dad was an Eagle Scout, and in order to earn merit badges, he had to do more work. Go above and beyond. Achieve, achieve, achieve. There are even world religions that are based on merit. Religions that say you have to do a certain amount of good works, follow all these rules and rituals, please the gods and goddesses, all to have your desired outcome or goal. What does the passage in Ephesians say, however? But God. But God, it is because of His great love for us, it is because of His mercy. And it is because of his abundant grace that we can experience life outside of being spiritually dead. A life that is not based on any kind of merit. A life that is so much better than we can achieve on our own. A life that we are so undeserving to receive, but that God has graciously offered all of us. But when it comes to grace, there are certain pitfalls we can find ourselves living into. So before we continue on in this passage, I need to do this brief aside and give this warning of what grace is not. First, grace is not something we should take for granted. When we view grace this way, we live like we have forgotten about it. And even worse, we live like we have forgotten about who we were before we received it. We don't remember our need for it. We can't see God's great gift in it. It loses the wow factor, the amazing truth of what it is. And when we do that, when we take grace for granted, we aren't giving giving God all the glory. Second, grace is not something we should abuse. We should not look at grace as if it is an excuse for our continuous shortcomings and mistakes and failures if we look at it as like this cosmic vending machine, like it is always available to get something out of whenever we need it, then there's no need to change. There's no need for transformation because, I mean, there's grace for that, right? When we abuse grace, when we use it as an excuse, we are ultimately cheapening it. You see, grace should be our fuel for change, not our substitution for it. However, When we avoid these dangers, and when we truly realize what God has done for us, something amazing happens. As this passage says, God makes us alive with Christ. He raises us up with him. He sets us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus. He died for us so that we could live in him, so that we could share in his resurrection. Second Corinthians 5 17 declares, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Grace offers us a new and better life in him. It is by grace you have been saved. There's nothing we could have done to earn that grace, to deserve that grace. It is freely given. But nevertheless, We don't want to risk falling into those pits of forgetting or abusing grace. So there's a role that we play in this too. You see, Paul repeats in verse 8 what he says in verse 5. It is by grace you have been saved. But he elaborates it is by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. Through faith. I read an article this week that said, God's grace is so amazing, we may have trouble believing it's true. And that's where our faith comes in, friends. We must have faith. We must believe that God is as good as he says he is. That God did suffer and die for us. That we have been given the gift of life because of his sacrifice. That article I read went on to say, and I thought this was so good, The salvation God offers us is freely ours if we'll dare to believe he's that good. If we'll dare to believe he's that good. Pastor Jeff said it this way for me this week. Grace plus faith equals salvation. That is the simple equation. We have been given this divine favor even though we don't deserve it Or can't earn it. However, if we don't believe it, we can't receive it. Y'all, all all of those things just rhymed. Like I'm a poet this morning. I didn't even know it. Now maybe you're thinking for just a second. Wait, Emma. You just explained that it is by grace we've been saved, not by any kind of works. And so if we have we have to have faith to receive this gift, it isn't that a work. And I would say to you that is a great question. But no, faith is not a work. Let's break this down together. Okay, let's imagine for a second that I give you a check for a million dollars. I don't know where I got that million dollars from. So if the check bounces, I'm really sorry. But anyway, I give you this check, and that money is totally yours if you want to receive it. I'm graciously giving it to you with no strings attached. However, in order to deposit it into your bank account or cash it out, you must endorse the check. Now, you didn't earn this money. You can't go and say that you became a millionaire by your own effort. Signing the check doesn't mean that. Rather, that check for a million dollars was simply a gift, and signing your name to endorse it is the only way of actually receiving that money. In a similar way, faith is the only way to receive this precious gift of grace from God but it is not a work worthy of earning the gift rather faith in itself is a gift from god john 6:44 says no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them in fancy wesleyan terms this is called prevenient grace or the grace that goes before and this kind of God's grace is preparing our hearts and our minds to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus. It is the grace that allows us to respond in faith. So you see, while we must have faith in God in order to be saved, that faith is also a gift of God's grace. So what does, what does all of this mean? What does it mean for our lives? Well, if we are saved by grace, if we received this gift through faith, if we are made alive in Christ, if we dare to believe he is that good, that he would offer us new life in him, then our lives should look really different. Let me remind you of the last two verses of our passage for today. I'm going to read it from the ESV this time just because I like the wording a little bit better. But Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 say, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. If we faithfully receive the grace of God, then we are transformed by the beauty and the power of his gospel message. So while there are signs that we can point to to see if we are spiritually dying, if we are dead in sin, there are also signs that we can point to that we are spiritually alive in Christ. These are the fruit. These are the things that we walk in that are ultimately an outpouring of a changed life in Christ. The first sign. If we are made alive in Christ, then we will live graciously. We will show great compassion for those around us. We've already established that we have received the greatest gift of all, and it is only by God's grace for us that we can fully experience new life, resurrected life, eternal life, true freedom in Christ. But understanding that we have been graciously given grace means that we too should be propelled to graciously extend that grace to others. I read an awesome story this week about Billy Graham, and this is how it went. When Billy Graham was driving through a small southern town, he was stopped by a policeman and charged with speeding. Graham admitted to his guilt, but was told by the officer that he would have to, do, or that he would have to appear in court. The judge asked him, guilty or not guilty. When Graham pleaded guilty, the judge replied, that'll be $10, a dollar for every mile you went over the speed limit. And then suddenly, the judge recognized the famous minister. You have violated the law, he said. The fine must be paid. But I am going to pay it for you. He took a $10 bill from his own wallet Attached it to the ticket, and then took Graham out and bought him a steak dinner. That, said Billy Graham, is how God treats repentant sinners. Such a good story. But it's true. God has graciously paid the fine for all of us, and that fine was much bigger than a $10 speeding ticket. And he promises us not only a steak dinner, but a place, a seat at the heavenly banquet that I'm sure is all we can eat. If God views us this way, if this is how God treats us, people who sin and mess up every single day, then when we experience this unbelievable grace and are made alive in him, we will want nothing more than to graciously treat and serve others to demonstrate the same loving kindness that he shows us every single day. Next, if we are made alive in Christ, then we will be generous. The entire gospel message is a story of the incredibly generous gift of Jesus' sacrificial life, death, and resurrection. Jesus generously gave his full self for us. He died for the sins of the entire world. And we all know this this verse, but it exalts this certainty. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God gave his son to us out of his love, his mercy, and his grace. When we believe and receive this gift, then we are then driven to also live a generous life. And this doesn't just have to do with money, even though that can be a part of it, but it's a lifestyle. It means sharing our skills, lending a hand, taking the time to listen to others. It means helping someone in need and loving other people well. It looks like giving of ourselves in every way, humbly and faithfully. We don't give because we have to. We give because it's just who we are. If we want to be more like Jesus, if we are made alive in him, then we live generously and we are generous with others just like he is with us. The third sign is if we are made alive in Christ, then we will be grateful. Are any of you familiar with St. Ignatius's daily examine? Anyone? Oh, a couple people maybe? This was something I did a lot when I was in seminary, but when I was teaching my prayer class back in the fall, someone actually introduced me to an app that I could get from my phone called Reimagining the Examine. So I try to do that pretty often now. And the daily examine is a step-by-step reflective prayer time. And so I highly recommend it if you are looking for different ways to spruce up your prayer life. Um, you definitely check it out but it gives you prompts to help you recognize how God is near you, his presence with you, and to discern his direction for your life. And how does it begin? Well, the first prompt is to give thanks to God for all the blessings he has given us. To review the day with gratitude. If we are made alive in Christ, we approach each day in a different light. We can see the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. See the joy in the little things. Recognize the goodness of the creation all around us. And even in the midst of deep grief and suffering and pain, we can be thankful for God's comforting and peaceful presence. First Thessalonians five sixteen through 18 says, Rejoice always pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A true sign of being spiritually alive is living a grateful life. Next, if we are made alive in Christ, then we will do good. Matthew 20, 25 through 28 says, Jesus called them, meaning the disciples, together. John Wesley's rule for Christian living, which I found out this week that he might not have actually even said, but it's very good, is do all the good you can, by all means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. When we are saved by grace and are made spiritually alive in Christ, We long to serve others just as he has served us. And the last verse of our passage today says we are created for good works, not by good works. These good deeds then naturally flow from us as believers. We are his workmanship. We are created to exemplify Jesus's love. If we are spiritually alive, we will reflect the gospel in what we say, in what we do, we will serve our neighbor, and we will long to change the world for Christ. Finally, friends, if we are made alive in Christ, then we will glorify God. 1 Peter 4, 10-11 declares, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, and they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. In this passage... Peter talks about how we are all divinely gifted in different things that are sourced in the grace of God. So, whether it's speaking or serving or encouraging or showing mercy or teaching or preaching or comforting, all of these things are God's grace. So, in everything, God may be glorified. As we practice and as we live into these gifts that God has given each of us, the very attributes of God are revealed. Through us, He has created us as the channels of His glory so that the whole world will know of His goodness and His grace. So, church, I ask you now where do you find yourself today? Are your signs pointing to being spiritually dead? or being alive in Christ. If you are exhibiting these signs of life, I encourage you today to keep pressing onward, to remember God's grace every day, and that your life can be a beautiful example of others or to others of Christ's love for us. Keep being gracious, continue to be generous, be grateful every day, Do good to and for others, and in everything glorify your Father in heaven. You never know whose life might be changed because of it. But perhaps you're still thinking about that first part of this message. You're racking your brain about those signs of being spiritually dead. You're seeing one or more of those signs in your own life, and you're not really sure what to do next. Well, I'm here to remind you today again that by grace you have been saved. God has offered you the free gift of his great love. He has died on the cross and was raised again on your behalf so that you can experience a new life, a better life in him. How will you respond to that grace today? Will you dare to believe he's that good. Will you let him transform your heart this morning? After I close this message in prayer, we're going to sing a very well-known hymn, one that is a great reminder of who God is. And I would encourage you to spend some time as we sing these words together, reflecting on God's amazing grace for us. You can come to the altar and pray or to come and give thanks You can lift your voices and your hands in praise and gratitude because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we are thankful for your grace. Lord, we know that your presence is in this room with us right now. And I'm sure that there are people in this room today that are seeing these warning signs, might be spiritually dying, God. And I want them to be reminded this morning of how much you love them and how you have extended this grace over them. God, you are a good God, a faithful God who loves us so much. You want us to be made alive in you. God, give us the encouragement today, the boldness today, to live a life that honors and serves you well. Jesus, we love you and we lift up all these things in your strong name. Amen.